Hey everyone, welcome to New Slang. I'm Thomas Mooney. This is episode number 76. And today I'm talking with singer-songwriter Robert Ellis. He played Blue Light a couple Mondays back, and uh, before he took the stage, we sat down for this conversation. It mainly revolves around his last album, uh, Texas Piano Man. Uh, from there, it kind of branches off into the various directions about conceptual art, and building characters and narrative uh, arcs, and uh, just songwriting in general. It was really, really enjoyable. When Robert and uh, his band took the stage that night, I'm not really sure they realized just how Twilight Zoney it was going to be. Uh, for starters, it was a really great performance. Robert mentions it in the conversation later as a reference when they were recording Texas Piano Man, but it really rings true when you're just watching them too. Uh, of course, there's a lot of comparisons to Leon Russell and uh, Billy Joel and Elton John's Western record comparisons, you know. Uh, I made like, you know, the, the Terry Allen comp before, but more than anything, there's a lot of similarities to, to Queen. There's, a uh, you know, these really big moments. There's the dynamics and the presence and, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's probably the best comparison so far. Uh, so yeah, this great performance. Um, but everything you imagine kind of going wrong, kind of went wrong. Uh, I was talking to a couple friends later about the show and, I think everything kind of stems from this one specific event in a like butterfly effect kind of thing. There was this uh, drunk girl that kept on interrupting Robert in between songs. You know, she's asking him if he would play her wedding and um, I don't know how serious she was, but you know, it's, uh, I'm not really sure. It's also the, the best time to ask in the middle of a show, but I kind of feel like that kind of set off this series of unfortunate events during the show. Um, I don't know. It's uh, It wasn't just like a one-time thing either. It was like every couple songs. And um, I don't know, like Robert was really nice about it, but also it was kind of like, I don't know. Do you not have like just common concert etiquette? Anyways, um, the bigger problem, I guess, was that like Robert's piano basically stopped working mid-set uh they tried a few different things to get it going back to sound right and um it just never did and obviously that altered the way they were going to perform the show after that point so basically he grabbed his guitar and played a lot of these songs that were written on piano and that he's performed on piano this entire time uh he ended up having to play a bunch of them on guitar about like half the set i guess or maybe like the last third something like that it was still really really great and um i don't know it was it was just one of those things where you looking back you kind of felt like the the butterfly wings was uh was that lady or that girl asking about if he would play his his uh or her wedding and i don't know i, I feel like that just slowed down the set enough just to the point where his piano broke um I think like maybe even like the worst part is that she left before the piano broke too. So like she never even like knew in a way that she was kind of like a, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I'm probably rambling here, but I think that like there's a little bit of this, like uh, this butterfly effect thing happening there. Um, regardless, you know, it was a really great show. Uh, Robert and his band were, were stellar and, um, you know, even with uh, a few wrenches thrown in the mix uh, and how they had to, like, work everything out on the fly. It was really, really awesome. Uh, if you haven't checked out Texas Piano Man yet, go ahead and do so. Uh, it's definitely, like, in my top three albums of the year. Um, it may even be number one. It's just, like, an incredible piece of work. If you don't follow me on New Slang or on Twitter yet, go ahead and do that. It's at underscore New Slang. Go ahead and like New Slang on Facebook. And then go ahead and give Instagram a follow as well. And that is also at underscore new slang. Uh, if you haven't given the podcast a rating on iTunes, go ahead and do so. Give it a five-star rating. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Anyone who like loves and appreciates music, uh, go ahead and do that. So, yeah, enough rambling. Here is the interview with Robert. a story one time about I guess like whenever the show here was announced I heard I can't remember who told me but they were saying 
oh yeah, Robert Ellis, he played at the O Bar over here. Is that what it was called? Yeah, like we, over here. We were talking about it today, and we could not. Can I? Oh, can I curse? Yeah, you also, can curse on here. I could not fucking remember for the life. Can you hold of me. the mic a little bit closer? I, yeah, you're good right there. Yeah. I um. All I remembered is that there was a nautical theme that to where is, we played. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's called the Ovar. Yeah. That was um. I don't know. Eight years ago, maybe longer i don't know somewhere around there but i was like yeah we fucking we played at a place that had like a i thought it was called like ships or something because it had a nautical theme right um but that was the last time we were here yeah <laughs> like the, the the bar and the, they've remodeled the place uh since then i don't even know if they're open right now technically yeah um but that bar you could never like really put your beer on the the bar because there was like sheet seashells and stuff yeah. sticking out <laughs> and barnacles you, and you're like oh, <laughs> whose idea was this um but I had heard, like, I guess you guys played there, and somebody was saying, yeah, they just uh, did, like, an open uh, request, I guess. And, that like, people were just throwing out country covers to you all, and you guys would talk I, a second and then just start playing them. I think, I mean, if I'm having a bad show, usually I will try everything possible to make it turn around, and that's that's something we do a lot, which is just, like, you know, just I feel like the more you improvise and the more you just kind of go with the flow of whatever is happening, usually the better it turns out. Uh, and and yeah, I don't remember that particular night other than the nautical right, theme. Yeah. But we do that <laughs> often, you know. Like if I I don't know. Sometimes I feel like if I'm fighting against the energy in the room, then it's just destined to fail, you know. But if you can kind of move with it and just embrace it and like just you know whatever you had planned, fuck it, it's not going to work, you know. So yeah, I sometimes will take requests sometimes we'll just play random songs that we don't even really know um all of it i feel like pushes us to like be on our toes and actually play music instead of just fucking pushing the button you know if, right. you, if you do this enough it feels like you get into this groove where you just go on stage you play the same set you played the last night you say the same jokes you you know like you just push a button and that's not what i want to do um so i feel like you have to make conscious decisions to like push yourself out of that you know right the <laughs> that's one of those things where obviously people get used to a, a set list and you run through that set list every time basically but it's also like this, this the same stage banter and the oh same <laughs> jokes I, I, would, I would kill myself i fucking i couldn't hit you know like it's that's not why i play music you know right I, I play music to express myself and ideally if you're doing that well you're going to be different every day. You know, you're going to be different every fucking 15 minutes and you're going to be dealing with different stuff. And I don't know. I feel like the only way to be honest is to improvise. To me, that's like at the core of music. Um, but I, there is something to be said for, you know, we're also doing entertainment. So there's like this happy medium of like, I see bands sometimes. I saw this chick uh, a couple weeks ago, Maggie Rogers play in Austin. And I was just like, Oh my God, gosh she sounded so good and so together and so professional and I really kind of got down on myself after the show because I was like man we have never sounded like that but I think it's a compromise like she has the set planned out she has all of the interludes all of the banter all of it like to the minute mm -hmm. is put together and and there's something really powerful about that especially in a big arena setting you know when you have that many variables I think you kind of have to do that but I've just had to come to terms with the fact that that's not me, you know, <laughs> we'll probably just never do that. Right. Yeah. How much of, uh, I guess where I was going with this was, um, obviously like some kind of request live kind of, or, you know, just taking requests of just classic country songs or whatever. Um, how much of that was just influenced by y'all doing like the, those, uh, like whiskey wind Wednesday things I where y'all would just play yeah that was definitely like a crucible uh for learning how to entertain people and also we have a huge vocabulary of songs because of that you know a lot of them are somewhere deep in there and it'll take a minute to remember them uh, but yeah we were, we were doing honky-tonk gigs for years uh you know really to, to pay the bills we were working like five nights a week and there's all these little dance halls you know all over texas you can play these fucking dance halls and play country music and um, I don't know. It's it's a different gig than what we're doing now in a lot of ways, but I feel like doing that early really informed what we're doing now from an entertainment standpoint. 
uh, it really just made us tight as a band, and it made me, I don't know, pretty... I feel like I definitely am way more confident after doing those gigs with knowing that I can entertain people if I just right stop being up my own ass. You know, <laughs> like I mean, that's really what it is. Is like, I don't know if if you haven't ever really gigged. I feel like there sometimes is a pretension about uh, if somebody in the front row is like play. The worst example is if somebody's like play Freebird. You know, a lot of musicians would get kind of pissed they'd be like i'm here playing my songs you know or or even you know less uh less maybe malicious than that would be like somebody being like play a zach brown song you know they don't fucking know who you are right and they're not there they're just there to have a good time and their frame of reference maybe zach brown to them is the coolest thing on the planet and i i think there is something to that to being able to recognize that they're in a different place than you and even if you think that's the lamest fucking thing you've ever heard, they don't. And they don't mean it in any mean way. <laughs> you right. know, like, I don't know. Yeah. One of the, uh, I always end up referencing <laughs> Chuck Klosterman, but he's mm-hmm. got this essay about, um, I guess, like, he, he went on tour with this, like, Kiss cover band. And wow. in the, in the whole, it was, like, for, like, a week or something like that. But it was, like, about how people would rather pay. 45 bucks to go see a kiss cover band than five dollars to go see somebody they had never seen before and it it all has to do with just familiarity you know what i mean and um i think you get a whole lot of that when people go out to shows that are not necessarily um like a concert hall you know if you're just going to a, a a bar venue and um yeah you're you i guess maybe more used to thinking that uh the band on stage should play something that you should know you know yeah i mean a lot of it music is recreational i think for everybody um some of us are fortunate enough to get to do it more frequently Mm -hmm. you know to go to shows and to be around music more frequently but for a lot of people you got to get a fucking sitter you know it's a friday night you want to go out and the whole point is you want to have fun and so if you go to some singer songwriter show and he's playing his songs you know maybe you it's more difficult to connect with that i think expectation is a lot of it um i'm sure there'll be some people here tonight there always are at every show who are maybe not super familiar with our material they might have seen a poster or something and they they're like oh music we might like this um and i think that's part of our job though is to entertain them as well as the people who live with the records and love the stuff you're doing Mm -hmm. you know I don't know. It's it's uh, it's a daily struggle because <laughs> I I get just as mad as the next person at the drunk heckling mom, <laughs> you know, in the audience. <laughs> like she can be pretty rough, and yeah, not to gender stereotype here. Her male counterpart is m- probably worse, right? <laughs> you know, like, but just that person who comes to the show and is like, you know, you don't fucking matter to me. You're on the stage, but I don't care. I'm here to have a good time. And I'm the center of my universe, and so you need to play something I know. Right. <laughs> my my uh, ticket into this place is my entry into, yeah. like, I I want to get what I paid yeah. for, I yeah, guess. I or something. Yeah, You know, it's weird. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I guess, like, switching over to, like, you know, this new record, I think, like, one of the my favorite aspects of it is just the the, the vibrant album art. Thank and like you. out in West Texas, obviously there's yeah. some stark colors going yeah. there with like the, the white suit and everything. And well, that's um, where you're from. You probably are a little biased seeing that <laughs> seeing that landscape. But yeah, uh, yeah, we shot it out in Marfa. It's like I don't know. I the whole point was to try and craft something that was very Texas and also felt kind of new and unique. Uh, and I don't know, like. I tend to have these overarching, like, conceptual things with every record. Right. Um, and for this one, you know, calling it Texas Piano Man and shooting the cover where we did and the videos and having the songs be what they are, I kind of just wanted all of it to feel familiar in the sense that if somebody from Japan saw it, they would go, yeah, that's Texas. That fits in with my preconceived notions of what Texas are. But I also wanted it to be a little challenging for maybe people that live here that, um, you know, like me, probably struggle with some of the uh, stereotypes about what it means to be Texan. You know? Right. Like, 
try to push that a little bit to be like, this is familiar, but it's a little uncomfortable too. You know, rather than a pearl snap shirt, it's a white tuxedo. It's like, it's kind of like a surrealist interpretation of Texas identity. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I love that there's this, I, I feel like you, you mentioned you're trying to make some, a, a concept album for each album. Yeah. Um, in a way, um, do you think that, I guess maybe like setting some parameters of what an album's gonna be actually makes it a little bit more, like you're able to think more outside the box. Yeah. If you set a, a box that like we're gonna we're gonna try and stay. I know it, it sounds it's it sounds like the opposite, but like do you think sometimes when when you set what the limits are, yes, you're it's a little bit more challenging to to it's, figure out what we're going for. Yeah, it's I think that's not unique to music. That's all of life. Limitations are so crucial. You know, to have uh, a, it's an idiom. You know, is what it's called to be working within an idiom. And to have sort of defined rules and parameters of what that is. Um, I mean, you could get kind of crazy with this conversation. But for me, as a musician who's been doing this a long time, I hear people talk about, you know, what they're doing with music in this way that I feel like is fairly arrogant. I feel like the idea that, let me put it this way, anything that we do in music, in pop music, in quotations, is not new it is within an idiom you know like whether you're writing country music or rock and roll or jazz or any of it it exists within an idiom that was already there and you might be adding a little personal flavor to it but you're not doing anything new no one is doing anything new not for a long time you know i really don't believe that and and so i feel like i turned a corner where it's like sort of embracing that and saying, okay, well, we can all agree we're making country music, in quotations, in a pop format. You know, we're going to have verses and choruses and bridges, and we're going to have lyrics that maybe tell a story. You know, that's part of that idiom, too, storytelling. And when you set those those boundaries and limitation, and, and then you have, like, aesthetic limitations, too, of, like, what do I want this to feel like and look like? I don't know. I feel like it pushes you to be more creative within those boundaries. Um, I don't know. A really good example is in recording. If you're in the studio and you have 150 instruments in that studio, it becomes really difficult to figure out which one to pick up. But if you have four, right? you know, that's the way a lot of our favorite records were made. All of the R&B and country and blues and rock and roll that we love oftentimes it was a guy with his guitar that he saved up a bunch of money to buy you know at sears and that's what he was able to use and so with i don't know i feel like we have too many options yeah and and our current uh it's the netflix era basically or the the spotify having access to everything it makes it really difficult to know what to do which way to go um and so yeah i like to put limitations on myself and yeah create a framework to work within um because otherwise you just you have too many choices it's impossible to decide uh i think i think when you're younger i don't know if you don't see all of the options or maybe there's like a romantic um just you know you're kind of naive uh i feel like when i was younger i would pick up the guitar and i would just write a song and i'd be like that's it that's what i want to say and it would just happen so fast you know but as you get older it becomes increasingly difficult to know what you want to say and how you want to say it and the options are overwhelming mm-hmm. you know <laughs> <laughs> one of the things uh i listened to that joe pug podcast oh, yeah. the other I day so much. and one of the things that you said on there that i, I was like well yeah, i guess you kind of both talked a little bit about it that i guess like you had said that you like work in like five minute increments that's a little is trick that, is that, that something you're yeah i can't remember what the study was i read something about um well a lot of people do it for jazz transcription i realized but um there's also like outside of music there just is this thing where your brain doesn't have 
the attention span to really focus for more than five minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. And even if you feel like you're, I mean, it'll blow your mind. If you do the, the thing and you set the timer, you set it for five minutes, you work for five minutes, and then when it dings, you do something else for five minutes. And you go through three hours back and forth, back and forth like that. I just find that I absorb so much more. And you give your subconscious a chance to do some of the work. I mean, part of it is that Malcolm Gladwell, like, blink idea, mm -hmm. which is that your brain is super powerful and your subconscious is super powerful. Like, when you're walking down the street, you're doing a million things. You're breathing. You're taking one step in front of the other. You're taking in all the information of all the people in the cars. And you're doing it all without thinking. So it's just another way to try and harness that like subconscious power, uh, which I feel is a little elusive, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, whenever I heard you say that, I thought, man, that, that's such a, a short amount of time. Yeah. But then at the same time, it, it's the same kind of thing as like, uh, I don't think we, as humans, we're kind of bad at judging time anyways. Yeah. Uh, like if I just asked you to, here, give me what you think is a minute. Count. You're yeah. going to, like, be off. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, totally. And so, like, at the same time, five minutes can be for fucking ever. It can. And it's... If you're working on a solo, for instance, if you're transcribing some guitar solo you really like and you're learning to play it, five minutes is, you know, just a part of a passage. And that's kind of the point. It is a small amount of time. Small enough that you just focus on you know maybe in a jazz solo you're focusing on like five or six notes in some you know arrangement and i feel like what it does is it makes you learn it and really learn it rather than just repeating it you know if you focus on five or six notes at a time you can understand what their relationship is to the chord and to that moment of the song and if you just learn the whole solo and you can play it you aren't really learning anything you're just mm -hmm. repeating it, you know? But if you can understand the concepts that are working, then you can take a piece of that solo and you can put it in another song and you can play it anytime you're confronted with this chord progression, you know? We're getting a little, like, inside music, <laughs> you know? And I feel like some people are like, I don't fucking care about that or know what he's talking well, about, but... <laughs> I I do love... Well, I guess we're, one of the things that I, I just really loved about that conversation you guys were having was, especially in songwriting... Mm -hmm. It felt like it feels like a lot of times when you talk to songwriters, they are talking just about writing songs and they don't ever really think about other writing exercises or and yeah. you guys kind of talked a little bit more about the exercise of of putting pen to paper or whatever. And I guess the the working of, of how do you can tell stories Yeah, um, that you don't necessarily have to use the lens of a song. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's it's endlessly frustrating if you try to write a song. I mean, I I'm just so frustrated by it constantly. Uh, and at the same time, what we're talking about is just a little trick to make it easier. I mean, sometimes if you're working on a problem and you step away from it, the solution becomes clear immediately when you come back to it. But if you just keep at it, it it's you'll never find it. You'll mm -hmm. never know what the answer is. Uh, I don't know, often in songwriting, I find myself doing, uh, I th think the thing I hate most in my own writing is when I overwrite something, or I'm trying to say, um, let's, let's just take for example, like, I'm trying to say, I don't know how I feel, and I might say that in 10 different ways with a metaphor and all these different analogies and this complicated language and maybe I'm fucking referencing like tropes like the sun or what you know whatever and really what I'm trying to say is just I don't know how I feel like that is the straightest line between two points <laughs> but for some reason when you're in that writing moment you don't you don't know how to say it and you don't realize that the simplest way to say it is just the best it's the most effective but when you step away from it and you come back you go that doesn't sound that bad I wrote that down that's the first thing I wrote down and for some reason I think it needs to be more complicated and I don't like it but when you come back to it you can almost look at it as if you didn't write it you can like see it as if somebody else wrote it and anytime I do that like if I'm writing with a friend who's a really good singer 
and I write down a line that I think is crap, but then they sing it. I'm like, that line's great because they sound good. <laughs> you know, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. It makes you actually hear it <laughs> rather than hearing your own hangups. Right. That is interesting <laughs> to think about, like just, um, or maybe thinking like, I'm gonna write this for Adele because she's gonna be yeah. able to sing it. <laughs> I do that all the time. I I do think about artists. Um, it often it's foolishly because they're never going to cut the weird song <laughs> that I end up writing. But I do think about like there was a song, um, Couple Skate, on the self-titled record. And when I started writing that song, I was 100% thinking about Leon Bridges should cut this song. Like it was when that first record of his came out. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this would be a good song for him. I, I want it to be like, I don't know. I just sort of try to think about what his voice would be when I was writing it. And like I said, he's never going to fucking cut that song. It's like totally a weird <laughs> rock song about holding hands with someone at the skating rink. You know what I mean? Right. Like It's just not in any real world is he going to cut that song. But it really helped me finish writing it to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting to, to think about. Um, now, back on this last record, obviously like the the Texas Piano Man as the, I guess, like the character. Yeah. Um, you were talking about kind of like challenging the the Texas tropes, but also like kind of embracing the, just the, the stereotypes of, of a Texan, right? In a lot of ways. Reclaiming is the word reclaiming. I'd like to use. Okay, reclaiming. Reclaiming is the word I'd like to use. Just because I've, I feel like what I want to do is like have the, the bigger ideas represented, like the idea that Texans are individual and unique and loud and uh, charismatic. Like, I want those bigger ideas to be there, but I don't want all of the smaller, specific ideas that I feel like have overtaken, you know, the conversation. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that to be um, big and charismatic it needs to be in a certain direction. You know what I mean? Right. I don't think you need to be, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to get too into it, but I definitely think there's like a, just take it this way. Like for years and years, Texas was a working class state of Democrats, you know, and Mm -hmm. regardless of what you think now, that is what Texas was not that long ago for years and years. That's what all of our grandfathers right. were. You know what I mean? And yeah. if you talk about identity politics in Texas now, it's like we've completely forgotten that. And not to say that we should be Democrat or we should be Republican, but I do think it is beneficial to keep in mind that whatever the current identity of Texas is, it's this fluid thing that is always moving and changing. And especially as a songwriter, if you get hooked into trying to fit in with whatever is happening right now, you're missing, you're not riding the wave. You know, you're like, you're missing the bigger idea, mm-hmm. which is that, I mean, look, what's our fucking biggest, our biggest Texas hero is probably Willie Nelson. And if you look <laughs> at Willie Nelson on paper, he defies every single idea that you would say represents a Texan. And yeah. yet, he's our biggest icon. Right. You know? <laughs> so it's like... I don't know. That was kind of what was in my head through this whole thing is like, I want it to feel like Texas, but I don't want it to look the same way you think it should, you know? Right. Yeah. You know, the, you're the whole Democrat thing. I mean, Ann Richards That's, is yeah. not long ago. No. And if people, if people think it was, she's in King of the Hill. Yeah. I mean, That's what I mean. It was like, <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, look, everyone things change and people change and and I totally understand it but I just feel that um, especially when I talk to members of my family and stuff I feel like there's uh, there's just a forgetting there's something that happened where it's like I don't know they just they don't remember it wasn't that long ago that things were different and that you didn't have to I don't know how to say this I feel like there's a pressure being from a really small town in Texas to think a certain way and act a certain way and and I don't feel like it is uh, I don't feel like it's real I feel like that's imposed and I feel like people have fucking hijacked 
what it is to be Texan. Right. You know, and they feel like they have some ownership over it, and they have the right to say to anybody what it is to be Texan. And if you disagree with them, they'll be the first to be like, oh, city boy, or you don't know this, or you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm just like, fuck that. That is not... <laughs> that's not the way things are you yeah. know like it's up to every one of us to define what being texan is yeah we all grew up here we all live here <laughs> yeah like the i think like the like the original idea of being a texan was being independent thinker yeah or an in, independent thinker being yeah. uh you know psychopath <laughs> 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 i think that's what a lot of it was was like pretty wild uh yeah individual people who just did not go with the norm of the rest of the country um and i don't know at times that means aligning with democratic politics at times that means aligning with republican conservative politics i just think that it's really important to keep in mind that we are individuals and we need to think for ourselves and we shouldn't Mm -hmm. just fucking take whatever is fed to us at our high school or whatever you know yeah uh (laughs) what was like the I guess like that first song, the first batch of songs that really kind of started, I guess, morphing into the, the idea of this record. And that kind of like, I maybe set the tone. Uh, passive aggressive was an early one. Uh, and that one had a lot of humor to it Mm -hmm. and was like, uh, that one kind of set the tone in some ways for the, uh, just how fun is this record going to be? You know, like how sad is it going to be? How much of it is like tongue in cheek? Um, and then the song fucking crazy came kind of early and that was one that I felt like really defined everything I was talking about. I feel like it was, you know, it's just a really simple love song in some ways, but it has the F word in it over and over and over. And I feel like that is, um, that's kind of a part of what I'm trying to say is that, uh, I could have written that song without that word in it but it wouldn't have had the same sort of confidence you right know? and the same just like in your face kind of feeling and that i don't know it really just summed it up to me it's like it's a simple love song but it has so much personality in it and it is divisive there's a lot of places we can't play it and there are a lot of people that are not going to like it and i think that's okay you know i think that there are a lot of people who it's going to be their song. You know, there's a lot of people who are going to get married and walk down the (laughs) aisle to it because they're just like, this is us. You know, this is like, I don't know. Yeah, there's (laughs) a lot of that humor in there uh, on the record in general. You know, the the passive-aggressive is like very, uh, I don't know, I I absolutely love it because it's just... Thank you. It's, um, everyone knows that one person who is super passive-aggressive, but then like, I don't know. Usually, I, I guess like what I'm saying too is um, the reason why you're able to uh, see those passive aggressive qualities in someone is because you do them too. Yeah. And uh, you know the signs because you're you. <laughs> the you're narrator doing it too. of yeah. that song is <laughs> passive aggressive over and over <laughs> with the delivery. That was one thing when I was writing it that I was like, oh, this is so much fun. I can like sing a line and then like wait to sing the next part and do all of these little like subtle jokes to me that you know it's i don't know a lot of my stuff is um on the face one way and i feel like if you listen a little deeper i i really try to not have any like i'm really not into black and white in terms of like and right and wrong in terms of uh ethics and and i don't like songs where it's somebody saying somebody else did something wrong. They did something wrong, and that's why my life is hard. I don't think that's interesting, and just as a writer, I just don't want to go there. So a lot of my songs are about conflict, and a lot of them, the narrator is just as much at fault as anybody else. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just I don't think that kind of black and white stuff is, one, fair or real, um, and, two, it's not interesting. It just doesn't interest me that somebody would just, you know. And and by the same token, I don't think that, like, self-defeating songs about what a shitty person you are and how I cheated on you. And, I'm like, I just, that doesn't interest me. I feel like we're complex. And a lot of us are living in, like, a gray area. 
where we're constantly trying to figure out, did we do it the right way? How are we going to do it next time? And that's more interesting to me, is like that conflict of like all of us trying to be a, a better person and struggling. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's why, like in television or in film, we love like the anti-hero, right? Yeah. The, yeah. The, the person who has the problems, but you're trying to root for it and does some fucked up shit along the way. Yeah. You know? Uh, because I, I think there, everyone kind of loves the, a, a redemption arc, yeah. you know? Um, it is interesting though. You, you mentioned, you know, that a lot of times the narrator's at fault or just as much fault as the person they're going after. I think for some reason in, in music as, as a listener, we always think that the, the narrator's right. And, um, I guess like in the last couple of years, I've realized a lot of times that like, um, for example, just, uh, one of my favorite bands is Turnpike Troubadours and yeah. they've got the song, you know, good Lord Lori. And everyone kind of like bashes Lori and it's like, no, the narrator was being a dickhole. Yeah, like, and once you kind of <laughs> realize like that, like, you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it, it creates these, you may like the, the narrator in that song or whatever, but like, you know, he was at fault in this, in these, in the moment that he, that they're singing about. Yeah. And just because you relate to him doesn't make him right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. The trick. <laughs> that's, that's the trick. Yeah. Yeah. I love them. They yeah. Rule. And I, I don't know. I think there's a, there's a lot to that where we, you know, we project a whole lot of stuff on lead singers Yeah. and, um, it's kind of the same thing with like a lot of, uh, the American aquarium. Yeah stuff where you know because we like bj and because bj is the one with the microphone yeah. you know uh and we've talked a little bit about this before with i've talked with him about it about how yeah you know like looking back you know i was the the bad guy in these songs and yeah um i don't know i i i, I find that a little bit more interesting as well yeah and you don't i mean like if you like bj which, by the way, I love him, too, and I love that band. Um, I don't think that it's predicated on you believing every word out of his mouth is true or mm-hmm. 100% representative of who he is. I mean, I can tell you know, people listening that listen to American Aquarium, just because you've listened to their records, you don't know who these people are. You know, um, And by that same token, you, know, you could know somebody for a long time and still not fucking know who they are you know like and i i think that songs are just this one little window that are built on extremes the whole point of them is that they last three minutes and that they're about one thing and that is just not the way life works life is about a lot of different complicated stuff and songs are like a little microscope into one little part of it so to think that just because somebody sang a song about how they felt in one moment you know, you're not getting a complete picture of who that person is. Uh, and I think, you know, one, that's why songs are special, but uh, also that's why they're misleading. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I do think there's a, a conflict right now in music where we feel like the people singing the songs have to be the people in the songs. Right. Uh, you know, and much greater minds than us have thought about this subject at length, you know, especially in terms of fiction writing the idea of a character having their own identity you Mm -hmm. know is a character the writer if it's in a book would you say that uh J.R.R. Tolkien is (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean is Frodo would you I don't think you would but in a song (laughs) it's really easy to say that the guy singing is the guy in the song yeah and there's just not a lot of times a distinction made in songs where you say, hey, everybody, not just want to clear this up. This isn't me. This is a character. His name is John Smith. You know what I mean? Right. Like, we don't have the time to do that. And also, it wouldn't be effective, and you wouldn't relate to it if we did. So <laughs> yeah. I just think it, it would behoove everyone to just relate to the song, relate to the characters the same way you relate to the characters in a book, but don't hold them to some standard. You know. Uh, and to be completely frank, a lot of artists are horrible. You know, a lot of people that make this their life, writing music and and writing fiction and 
they're horrible, depraved people. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't want to relate to yeah. them. <laughs> well, that's the thing, too. I always think about where we romanticize everybody. Yeah. And it's a, you know, you ask everyone in the bar tonight who your favorite Texas songwriter is. You're going to get a whole bunch of Towns Van Zandt. Yeah. And, yeah, he's a great, he was a great songwriter. But it's like also like pick up a book every once in a while and, yeah, and read I, about some of the fucked up shit. I do not want to be him. Exactly. I don't want to fucking live like him. Yeah. I mean, look at R. Kelly. Wrote some of the most beautiful love songs on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of like really religious songs. Yeah. <laughs> and he is a fucking bad dude. <laughs> He's yeah. done some bad stuff. He's not someone we should look up to. You know what I mean? But there's this this difficulty in separating the art from the artist. Um, Towns is one that I I love him so much. I love his songs. And then yeah, I just like especially as a songwriter, I feel like a lot of people they use him as a songwriting role model. And I feel like that's created sort of a culture of feeling like you have to have a fucked up life in order to write good songs. And maybe that's true. I don't think it is. But if it is, I don't want to do that. I yeah. still want to have a family, and I still want to be a good man, and I want to like raise my child well and not be fucked up on drugs all the time. And if that means I can't write good songs, then so be it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I wonder like where that really started out with. And, and I, I'm, I, I guess it kind of started out with like the beat generation. Yeah. Like the, the Kerouacs of, of, you know, of being because I, I guess I've read a few things where you know obviously everyone loves on the road when you're you yeah. know a teenager but read it now as a, a 30 year old man and you go yeah I don't know about this uh, <laughs> but there's a lot of stories about how you know he was it was more of a sad thing at near the end of his uh, you know after after his quote unquote glory days where he would show up and he's just you know an alcoholic or something and that I, I don't know why we have a a romanticism about about that kind of stuff with art and about having to have like a bad life well you know? there are archetypes and there are tropes you know and I think that in some ways it makes it easier what we were talking about earlier we all like familiarity you know and the idea that an artist fits into a certain construct that you have it's it's compelling and and it's the same in you know i mean think about like i don't know like stephen hawking for instance you know we love the idea that someone who has hardship is a genius it's like it's an archetype you know the the crippled genius is right. like a, a thing that is like a real archetype and I think there's something that we think where, oh, well, he must, because of his condition, he must have had to work so much harder and just be so much smarter. Um, and I just think that it's something that we do. We put people into little boxes and, and um, yeah, I don't think it's healthy. I think that we should all constantly be checking ourselves and saying, uh, you know, why do I like this? What do I like about it? Uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> Who fucking knows? I mean, I'm I'm saying all this and I'm as guilty as anybody of doing this stuff, you know? I'm I'm just as guilty as as anybody of hearing a song and putting together all the pieces of what they look like and where they're from and what their accent sounds like and what the words are and then coming up with an idea in my mind of what they are, you know? Um that's why I like Billy Joel. I I feel like he is like this wild crazy character who just is like says whatever he wants and your mom also likes him you know and that's the same kind of thing so i don't know yeah uh (laughs) okay like sonically this record you know you a lot of people have been comparing it to like billy joe leon leon russell yeah Uh, i i kind of feel like there's a lot of that elton john the 70s elton john feelings to it um were you i guess were, were these kind of records in mind whenever you were going uh and playing the piano and really kind of building the record in the studio definitely i mean we reference a lot of different things Mm -hmm. when we're in the studio for mix purposes for you know how are the instruments going to fit together i think a real strong uh 
sonic identity on this record is mid-range is super pushed you know in the guitar and in the vocal and it was a choice that Josh made because a lot of the references I sent him I mean if you listen to Queen the mid-range on that stuff is insane sounding and if you were just to give that to somebody let's say you were producing a record for some local singer-songwriter and you mixed their record the way that a Queen record sounds they would send it back <laughs> they would send it back to you and they would be like this sounds crazy it doesn't sound like music on the radio this is not how it should sound uh, we've just gotten used to things being a lot more balanced you know and Queen is bold sounding and so that was a reference we used a lot is like how do we make this sound really kind of aggressive in ways that it doesn't usually uh, and the mids are pushed they're just super up front mm -hmm. uh, and the vocal we also made some choices on the vocals to like all of my records so far have been I feel like the vocal had a very beautiful big treatment and on this one we tried to make it big and aggressive but not necessarily beautiful it's got some like rough edges to it and some of the qualities of my voice I have a very mid-rangey voice they are embraced rather than tamped down you know I think most engineers when they hear my voice they go oh he's got kind of sharp mid-range we should get a microphone that will help that you know help make that a little more palatable but we made the opposite choices <laughs> on this record <laughs> uh, you know we're talking a little bit about the 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 humor on this record but there's some like super serious yeah moments on this record too uh the song father when i first heard it my first thing was i just had to play it again and uh i i think it's like one of the best songs i've heard in a long time thank you um but like where, where did that song begin what it, what's well it started out um somebody very close to me didn't know their father growing up and told me that they wrote him a letter they got his address from somebody and wrote him a letter you know don't know him at all and wrote mm -hmm. him this letter and I just when I was writing I started just thinking about well what would that letter say uh, and of course you know I, I put some of what would my letter say right. you know? um, but it, it's definitely an amalgam of, of a couple different people that I was thinking about it's not completely my story you know but I think I don't know I wanted it to kind of be a little universal because I think whether your father was present for your life or not I do think there's a feeling when you get older especially when you have a kid uh, where you really start asking yourself like do I know these people like what do I what do I really know about them uh, and I don't know for me having a kid really put that a finer point to that like you go through these milestones you see your kid take their first steps and it just occurs to you that your parents did the same thing with you and they felt the same way you do or they felt you know some different but very extreme way and until you go through it it just never occurs to you because why you know why would it but mm -hmm. i don't know i feel like that song definitely uh having a kid had a lot to do with it my relationship with my father had a lot to do with it and also thinking about this this person and their letter you know yeah it felt just like it, it felt like it was even though you just said you know it's kind of based on a story it didn't feel like a, a story it felt re like a really real moment well a lot and of those little vignettes in there are mm -hmm. from real things in my life you know like one thing i try to do writers that i really like like john prine you know rather than talking about huge ideas big ideas he tends to focus on really small details so there's my favorite lines in that whole song are the lines about the um, I just saw a picture you know there's this picture and I'm looking at it and I'm like well who's that guy in the pickup truck you know and like we were fishing we were on the beach like I was so little I don't remember it and the idea of asking somebody about like what was that day you yeah. know like um, I don't know to me and that is a real you know I feel like I can't pull out that picture and show you the picture I was talking about but I feel like I've seen it you know mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel like it's something that I've felt when I was looking at a picture and gone like god when what was this I must have been like five you know? yeah yeah <laughs> it's uh it's also I, I don't know I think with especially with the, the picture imagery uh 
we're from like a time where not everyone had a camera you know what i mean yeah and i think photos meant a little bit more definitely uh and definitely cooler yeah they, they looked a lot i think they looked better i mean if you go back through your family photos you'll be like this is so awesome looking because mm-hmm. they just snapped one photo you know nobody was rolling around with a ton of film you know making sure the pose was perfect and they made the right face and right. you know like selfieing with the perfect light and making sure their hair was good i mean like you just picked up a camera and snapped it's a weird a weird little piece of time um and i feel like more true because of that it's like we didn't have time to make sure that everything looked the way we wanted it to look you know we just snapped it and that's just somebody was making a weird face I feel like there's more information in that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we could go down that rabbit hole of yeah. <laughs> of social media and uh Instagram and filters and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I think I'm gonna save it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um Yeah. I mean I've had a really got great time talking with you here. Yeah, likewise. We'll, I hope uh, um go ahead and end it right here. If you're if you're good. Pardon? I said we'll go ahead and end it right here for yeah, sure. I just I do want to just say, um, you know, I hope I haven't offended anybody. I, <laughs> I constantly am afraid because uh, with these things, I just like to just talk and you know, yeah, uh, just have a conversation. And I just I do hope that, um, yeah, like everything I say should be taken with a grain of salt. I think. <laughs> I, okay, what I think though is. Uh, this time right here is like the disclaimer time. Yeah. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter what you say yeah. now. It feels like we always have to put a little asterisk and yeah. say, uh, and then this means you have to like disclaim everything. And yeah. I, I, w- I don't know. I wish we didn't have to do that. Uh, yeah, I do too. In I really life. do. But I feel like people are so, they're so angry and heightened and, um, right. you know, and again, uh, I had an argument on like Instagram the other day. I feel like people are so quick to throw the baby out with the bathwater and to think, oh, well, I don't agree with this guy about this, so I no longer like his music. Yeah. And it's fine if you don't like my music, but I feel like if you go through life that way, you're going to miss out on a lot of beauty. You yeah. Know? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well. Never mind. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going to keep that in there. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah.